The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Uh, in the wake of relentless airstrikes and those echoing cries from devastated hospitals in Gaza, the world has watched as the conflict between Israel and Hamas escalates to new heights. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, however, has agreed to temporarily pause attacks every day for four hours in order to facilitate humanitarian aid. Now, to give us the, the latest on this complex conflict is Professor Paul Rogers, author and emeritus professor of peace studies at Bradford University. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Hello. Now, it's got to be good news that there are these humanitarian uh, pauses, um, four hours and possibly more, the Israelis are saying. Uh, what will that achieve? Well, one thing it might help achieve is increase the supplies that are going over the border at the Rafa crossing from Egypt. The World Food Report uh, Program is reporting that as of now, it reckons virtually all people in Gaza, all Palestinians in Gaza, are suffering a degree of uh, malnutrition. Uh, before the war, it was about between a quarter and a third. Now it's almost everybody because the shortages are so intense. So any kind of pause which allows an increase in humanitarian shipments into Gaza is hugely significant. Uh, it may also allow um, the Palestinians to go down from the northern part of Gaza to the southern part. Most have done so, but virtually all are very reluctant to leave their homes because they just wonder whether they will ever be allowed back. It's certainly true that many, many homes are being destroyed in the northern part of Gaza and many more are badly damaged. So there is a resistance by Palestinians to go, but such is the level of the Israeli bombardment that many will actually do so and probably the substantial majority have already done so. They will therefore be in southern Gaza, which is going to be incredibly crowded. You're going to have the best part of two million people in half the size of the previous Gaza Strip. So that is maybe a problem for the future. But it is an indication that I think Netanyahu is coming under serious pressure from abroad, almost certainly primarily Anthony Blinken, the, the Secretary of State of the United States, and there's at least acquiescence on these particular pauses. Uh, so it's a start, but uh, there's a, a very long way to go, I'm afraid. Now, I'm going to play a, a clip from uh, an Israeli source, uh, which we played earlier on the program, just to get your reaction to it. We know that there are, there are a lot of difficulties, but I can say that there is no humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip. We are in war. We didn't pick up this war. Hamas chose to open this war. Hamas indeed did choose to uh, start the war, but uh, that claim that there is no humanitarian crisis in Gaza, that kind of statement doesn't make any friends for Israel. It doesn't, I'm afraid. It really doesn't help at all because, I mean, people have seen on the television screens, and this includes by Western reporters. You can't just claim that these are sort of local people delivering propaganda. It's pretty clear that there's a major crisis. And one has to remember that most of the aid supplies are distributed within Gaza, or at least were, by the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, UNRWA, which was set up many years, about 70 years ago, to aid the Palestinian refugees. You've got about uh, 80% of all the people in modern-day Gaza are descended from refugees. Uh, some, in fact, are the oldest people actually were refugees themselves when they were children. Uh, and there's uh, the abundant evidence that there is causing, it's causing a great deal of problems. Uh, there are some people on the Israeli side who deny this, 
who claim that you know the casualties are widely um, exaggerated, but independent observers think not. So I think we can dismiss that. To some extent, it's an indication of the feeling on some of the parts of the, of the Israeli side that what happened on the 7th of October was so grievous uh, that really Israel has to take a very firm line uh, and get rid of Hamas once and for all. It's not shared by all Israelis, uh, but it's certainly shared by the current government, which I think understand, really underlines the, the play that is going on now uh, between the government and in some ways the rest of the world. And the real danger, I think, is that Israel could end up, if it's not careful, becoming almost something of a pariah state when people were hugely supported uh, immediately after the 7th of October massacres. Now, the question, as diplomats are probably grappling with this, in spite of the war being ongoing and the privation and suffering being ongoing, they're looking at the end game and what the possible end game might be. Benjamin Netanyahu has said that Israel does not seek to conquer, occupy or govern Gaza, just, I suppose, lay it waste is what they are uh, doing. But it says a credible military force would be needed to enter Gaza if necessary to prevent the emergence of militant threats. So that's what, uh, do they see some sort of uh, expeditionary force always on standby on the borders with Gaza to go in and nip things in the bud? Is that how they see the future? It's very difficult to say. I think, I think the blunt truth is that um, the Israeli government and the Israeli defense forces and the intelligence forces were so caught out by this. They'd been lulled into a false sense of security and thought that they were secure. And, uh, of course, uh, Hamas was still there. And there's so much anger and resentment within Gaza because obviously the territory has been something like a closed prison ever since 2007-8. We're talking about sort of 15 years or more ago uh, that you just have this huge pool of young people who are really prepared to take very radical action. And unless you can actually bring that to an end by some sort of wider settlement, I don't really see an end to this. Now, obviously, there are two things that have happened in this regard. One is the Americans have made absolutely clear that they, along with the Egyptians, will not stand for, I think, even the temporary movement of Gazan citizens over the border into Egypt. The Gazans would not want to go because they thought they might never be allowed back. Many on the Israeli hard right side think this is the way to do it. Get rid of the Palestinians and then you will get peace. Uh, But the second point is that the Americans are also saying there must not be Israel solely dependent for Gazan security within Gaza. Now, as you say, it could be an expeditionary force, but how does that work? Uh, The real problem, I think, for the Israelis after what they've suffered is that you're just not going to get a recognition that there has to be changes really at the bottom. And all the time, of course, the tensions are rising very fast on the West Bank. It doesn't get much coverage, but that is causing problems as well. At some stage, I think uh, there has to be sort of a a proper settlement, whether it's a two-state solution or something else, I don't know. But until you get that, it's very difficult to see how Gaza can be peaceful, secure and growing and not a threat to Israel. Mm. Um, that, I think, is the problem for the Netanyahu government at the moment. Now, the narrative uh, that uh, is, I suppose, extolled by the Israeli side is that, you know, the, the Hamas as a government got lots of help. But instead of doing something to build their economy, provide jobs for their young people, instead they spent a lot of those resources in preparing weaponry for uh, things that would happen, like what happened on October uh, the 7th. Um, How true is that narrative, that Hamas were an irresponsible government? 
Well, until a year or so ago, Hamas were regarded internally within Gaza as a reasonably competent administration. You had to remember that Hamas, as with any movement, is a coalition of different views and different capabilities. And broadly within Hamas, on the more civil side, you did have technocrats and the rest. You did have people who were sort of organizing things. On the military side, it was very much a paramilitary force that believed that in the final analysis, Gaza itself had to be secure in a paramilitary way. And in the last couple of years, it has been that wing of Hamas which has really had uh, most of the power. And in fact, you probably recall just a few months ago, there were actually quite major street demonstrations within Gaza against the Hamas administration because it was proven to be incompetent. And the two might well have been linked. Uh, so the, the net result of all of this is that you still have the situation that Gaza has been uh, very much an open prison uh, for many years, and the possibility, possibilities for people to develop and move abroad have been very limited. And it's significant in some ways that one of the things that was a subject to attack very early in this current war from the Israelis was the universities. Uh, the main Islamic university was more or less destroyed in the first week or so. So I think the Israelis recognize this. Uh, but as far as they can see, you do, you do have to suppress the possibility of the Palestinians in Gaza behaving this way again. And you can't do that without actually addressing the underlying problems. It's a classic case of what we call litism. You keep the lid on things, but it doesn't work. Now, the question of land for peace. Uh, Israel did that deal with Egypt. Um, is there land that might be available to uh, let some of the pressure out of the Gaza Strip? I don't think there's any chance of that because the Palestinians in Gaza, I mean, 80% of them are still refugees or descended from refugees, they were refugees from what is now Israel. And their firm belief is that this would be another, what they call, Nakba catastrophe that you had in 47 to 49, and that once they leave Gaza, they will never get back in. Uh, and I think this is so strong that there would be huge resistance to doing this. The other thing is that you do have many people in Gaza who are prepared to fight. The last thing the Egyptians want is for those people to move to Egypt. Because remember, you have a, a military government in Egypt, well, basically a military government, which has been extremely hard on the military, on the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and in fact, Gaza has its, uh, sorry, Hamas has its origins uh, linked to the Muslim Brotherhood movement in the wider Middle East. So here again, it, it's an issue which uh, you cannot resolve by basically military structures. It has to be done politically. And Israel, I think, is very unable to uh, recognize that. At least most Israelis are, not all, but most are. Now, what, what we are seeing unfold before us is that a, a dependent society, as was uh, the, the situation right across the Gaza Strip, dependent on external help, external aid, uh, now having a lot of its infrastructure in Gaza City destroyed, even where apartment buildings are still standing, there may be no utilities for them, there may be no street in front of them upon which uh, they can walk or, or, or drive. So we're going to have an even more dependent population in Gaza after this is all over. And you're wondering, what happens then? Is the international community going to pick up the, the tab for the rebuilding of uh, Gaza? Uh, because, uh, just Paul, thinking back to Iraq and the invasion, invasion of Iraq, and, you know, they wanted to secure the oil ministry uh, and so on and so forth. But what the people desperately wanted uh, after Saddam Hussein was hospitals that worked, electricity that was on 24 hours a day, adequate nutrition, 
that's what they wanted. But instead, they got, uh, you know, a, a military police force. They did indeed. And in fact, one of the uh, sort of features of international law, I think, don't quote me that it's the fourth Geneva Convention, uh, is that if you are occupying a country, you are responsible for the security of all the inhabitants. And actually, the Western coalition, the Americans and the British, the French and the others, didn't, sorry, not so much the French, did not achieve that in Iraq. And of course, they didn't achieve it in Afghanistan as well. Uh, It's an underlying aspect of international humanitarian law. Um, and it, it doesn't seem to be anywhere at the present time. Now, just to repeat, the Israelis, the majority of Israelis feel very strongly that they have the right to ensure their security. Uh, and I think people accept that, obviously. But the point is that they really believed that they really did have a high level of security after the sorting of problems they saw as the third, second intifada back in 2005, um, that they were now a relatively secure country. That has been knocked into a cocked hat by the experience of um, the 7th of October. And this is what is dictating Israeli politics. But you also have, uh, I don't know how you, what term you use, whether hard right or far right, you have an exceptionally hard right uh, Israeli government, probably the hardest right government since independence. Uh, within it is dependent on a couple of pretty small parties that provide enough seats in the, in the Knesset. Knesset. Uh, um, those really are people who just, well, they would want rid of Palestinians, some of them. It's a sort of Kahanist view. So it's a very difficult political situation at this time. And you suspect that Hamas knew this and wanted to stir things up very much just to show where the strength lies in Israel and where it doesn't lie. Uh, don't underestimate the capacity of Hamas to be thinking this long term. Paul Rogers, author and emeritus, professor of peace studies at Bradford University. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.